We are recording. Hello, everyone. I'm John McDonald, and a happy Halloween. This episode is coming to you um, the week of Halloween, actually, which is a lot of fun. And so Magnus and I decided to talk about one of the ultimate Halloween experiences that transcends country of origin, time, space, and the Burger King uh, reality of making seasonal <laughs> toys um, for non-seasonal holidays. Uh, we are going to talk about the Treehouse of Horror uh, <clears throat> non-continuity segment of the Simpsons television showcase spectacular. Hello, Magnus. Hello. And if we're going to talk about continuity, I really should point out the fact is, considering The Simpsons seems to be stuck in some sort of perpetual time loop, um, I'm not sure continuity even comes close to The Simpsons universe. Well, they've talked about this, actually, is that mm. it's a very specific type of storytelling. It has a very fancy name that I think they may have created for it. But the Simpsons always moves with time while keeping the characters perpetually the same age. And the Treehouse of Horror, <laughs> except for the except for one year, the Treehouse of Horror episodes are all outside of that continuity, anyways. Um, so it's without it's mm. it's outside of continuity that it's outside of the continuity of of the universe, technically. So, I mean, one could argue that horror in itself is usually depicted in an other verse sort of plane otherwise um unless it's very specifically that the horror is taking place in a very realistic location to inc increase the sort of spine tingling effect for the audience and the reader now this isn't the first anthology series in america by any stretch but this is the oh, first yes. time a tv show that does halloween episodes has done an anthology especially animated because when you think about Halloween episodes of Modern Family or Roseanne mm. or Two Guys a Grown with Pizza Place, uh, all of those kind of live in continuity in the year they're in. In fact, shows like Two Guys and a Girl and Modern Family um, are rather famous for their Halloween episodes and how they weave them into the storyline of the sitcom itself. But this, uh, the Treehouse of Horror is a really special thing um that a lot of people love and have opinions on but they tend to have opinions mm. on the earlier seasons i did an informal poll among my friends yes. and almost all of the episodes they talked about loving were from the first two tree houses of horror uh <laughs> which ironically they are on my high list that i have because they have a list of high good medium low and wasted opportunity um <laughs> I would. I I really went into it on this. I mean, to be honest, thinking about what you've just said, I would argue that maybe the reason why your friends think of those particular episodes and tales more particularly might be more to do with like The Simpsons as as a whole because of the you know the established golden age of The Simpsons, the first. Mm -mm, 10 to 12 seasons that people really remember fondly and then you get into uh, say the mediocre part and then the modern era um and the fact is when people talk about the simpsons and they talk about what they love about the simpsons it does tend to come back to the classic era as it were and the episodes that people talked about mostly were ones that have been quoted for a long time so yeah. i'm thinking uh 
uh, don't blame me, I voted for Kodos from the Citizen <laughs> Kang, uh, which is not on my list. So Citizen Kang is number 19 on my list. Uh, Cloud mm. Without Pity, which is the Twilight Zone uh, Talking Tina um, episode. Uh, Clown Without Pity for me actually comes out at number 20. And the thing people like about this episode is actually when Homer has the uh, um, Rogert conversation with the uh, mystical Asian guy. Oh, um, yes. So really, it's not about the show itself. It's about what happens before he gets to Evil Doll. Um, mm. And people also really like Hungry Are the Damned from the first one, which is the uh, it's another Twilight Zone parody where they're going to eat people like they, they give a cookbook about they give a book about peace to the people of Earth and they translate it and it's actually a cookbook. Um, <laughs> and it's actually one of the more solid parodies. Uh, Hungry Are the Damned is my number six because I think it's very clever. Um, but mm. like as much as I love Bad Dream House from the first one, there are some pacing issues. The earlier seasons kind of show that they're still trying to figure it out. Um, the one thing yeah. I like about the earlier seasons is instead of having one overall director, they give individual writing credits about mm. about Halloween, about about the time of Halloween <clears throat> Simple Special number eight, they stopped doing that. They, it wasn't called Trias of Horror until season uh, uh, season 13, by the way. Um, mm. But for the first eight or so seasons, they were giving individual writing credits for each segment and then an individual writing credit for the opener and what's called the wraparound. Unfortunately, mm. they stopped doing that. And so a lot mm -hmm. of the later ones, I don't know who the individual writers of the segments are because they just have the director getting credit for it essentially um mm. which is a little annoying when i want to do deep dive research uh but <laughs> based on how my list goes uh quite a few of the later ones are represented really well in this list because uh the the ability to do an anthology the ability to have to do like a 10 minute piece really showcases what the simpsons did well the idea of satire the idea of irony uh, the idea of wordplay, the idea of kind of taking a pot shot at the sacred cows of Americana. Mm. Um, those yeah. are all really represented in the Halloween specials, and they mean a lot mm. to a lot of people. When people think of the golden age of the Simpsons, they tend to think, not necessarily of this, but of the work that these episodes do. Mm. Indeed. And just thinking about it, I mean, let's let's go right back to the beginning. Um, the Simpsons came out in 1989. Mm. So already, well, just a minor point on that. So already, we're establishing that the Simpsons came out in 1989. Um, so already, well, just a minor point on that. So already, we're establishing that the Simpsons came out in 1989. Um, so already, we're establishing that the Simpsons came out
just by like the the popular or iconic um yeah. things that they're referencing um because we there's the twilight zone there's um amityville horror um they did the outer limits <laughs> like, too which was the yeah. spiritual twin the twilight mm. zone so they the year after they did the night gallery opening i think was the year they did yes. the outer limits opening oh, uh which is really fun to think opening. about um they mm. also reference things like uh the omega man uh, which is the mm. Omega Man, which was the Charlton Heston version of Last Man on Earth, which was done by Vincent Price in the 50s. And then in the 2000s, Will Smith did it as I Am Legend. Mm. Uh, and The Devil and Homer Simpson is a reference to uh, The Devil and Daniel Webster, even though it has kind of a different uh, take on it. And then, of course, there's Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace, which is Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street, uh, which is <laughs> which... actually my fourth favorite of all of the Treehouse of Horror <laughs> segments. So like they, you know, there's there's some really great stuff that is um, kind of new and personal Treehouse of Horror, but a lot of what they did was parody of other things. Um, generally in a great way, sometimes not so much, but generally generally in a great Gen way. I'll give them 90% on that. Generally in a great way. And um, in a way that they're able to reference um cult and classic um um horror um films and such but still present it in a way that is watchable for family even if it, it is terrifying in its own way um as you as you mentioned they did um, nightmare on elm street they did a poltergeist one i believe as well um oh, i forget the name of that episode uh, so, so that was the one with. Uh, so they did the Exorcist. They did the Exorcist, which uh, with the oh, Pazuzu, which was really great. So the problem with uh, Bad Dreamhouse in season one, and it's not really clear yeah. if it's an Amityville horror or if it's just like a general haunted house of the '80s kind of thing. But I think mm. generalism works with that um, because later in a, in a later season where they actually have um ned become a realtor they almost beat that again anyways um but yes. they've done they've done zombie movies they even did one of my favorite ones which is not really a horror segment but it's about the idea of the right to bear arms it's the idea of a second amendment and it's this really mm. well done parody of kind of the cautionary tale of what would cowboys do if they had unfettered if they were the only ones left with guns and zombie cowboys and then one zombie German uh, Reimark guy that seemed to have died in uh, Springfield, which is kind of funny. So, mm. so um, thinking about the ver that because there's been so many <laughs> Treehouse of Horror stories, um, with yes. each one How many really. Is it? So this year will be season yeah. thirty-three. Oof. So thirty-three mm. times. Actually, there was one year where it was five segments, so 33 oh times 30 plus 2 would be however many segments they've done, not counting the openers, which are usually written separately by a separate writer. So really, it's... I'm bad at math, so it's 33 times 3 plus 2 plus 1 for every opener slash wraparound. So it's... Mm -hmm almost a show unto itself in fact there are some <laughs> dvd archives where you can just get the trias of horror and disney plus actually has a section where it's just the trias of horror episodes 
So it's it's really it's yes. its own culture within. It's like it got its own. Um, the Treehouse of Horror got its own San Diego Comic Con uh, Monopoly game release. I think in merchandising before other Simpsons stuff happened. Um, but it's really hard to track down, and it's very expensive if you ever find a copy of it. Um, it's kind of one of my holy grail of Monopoly games, it's, but. Uh, I mean, to be honest, you could almost argue that Treehouse of Horror has become its own brand that's quite distinct from The Simpsons while still being part of The Simpsons at the same time. Um, and I think that's because of the fact that it's such a an iconic blend of horror with The, with the Simpsons' particular type of animated humour. And also because people have become so used to to watching The Simpsons. I mean, Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa, Maggie, um, very few people will not know who they are. And so, then seeing them written into a horror setting, yeah. um, I think it just captures one's memory. So here's something I want you to do for me, because this is a fun thing yeah. to do. I want you, uh, because there are one, two, three, there are six <laughs> correct answers to this. Can you Ooh. name, so there are six seasons where Treehouse of Horror is actually a season premiere um, of, of the season for that year. Uh, which Treehouse of Horrors do you think they are? Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably, I really don't know if I can get any correct guesses there because uh, I, I really don't know the episode order for The Simpsons in general. So... I will not be able to tell you what they are. Um, is there a particular pattern to it? There is a particular pattern to it, except for Ooh. the first one. The first one is an outlier. Ooh. Oh, okay. Um, is it every third season? It is not, but I like the way you think. Uh, mm. So the seasons where it was season or opener is it was a season opener for... Um, Season eight, so this is Treehouse of Horror seven, okay, and then season twelve to season sixteen, it was the opener every single year that year, and okay. Treehouse of Horror thirteen, which would be season fourteen of The Simpsons, was the first year they called it Treehouse of Horror, and mm. so there's a portion of time where the Treehouse of Horror actually opened the show as its strongest like season thing, not just people expected it, but um, like it was some of the strongest openings of it. Um, one of my personal favorites, uh, Four Beheadings and a Funeral, which is a takedown of like Sherlock Holmes stuff, is actually from <laughs> the Trance of Horror 15, which was the last year they did. Um, they did it as a season opener. But it's, mm. usually, it's usually in the first five or six episodes of a season, just because of how they release episodes. But yeah, sometimes it starts out the show. Uh, for a season, which really does set a tone of The Simpsons being absurd um, and The Simpsons kind of willing to take risks that other animated shows did, except for like Futurama, which is the other Mac running property. Uh, there weren't really any shows that were animated that were coming close to this kind of anthology mm. in construction. And Americans have like one of our favorite celebrated shows, The Twilight Zone, is an anthology series, but they didn't do separate things within each episode. Um, I can't think of um, another show that does what Treehouse of Horror does. Not really. 
even no. Sabrina didn't really do it this way. So, and you couldn't really argue that Twilight Zone, etc., are even close to the same vein because of the fact that The Simpsons is an established um, family orientated, well, older family orientated show at times, I would say. Um, it's a family oriented show, it's a cartoon, it has its like its own um, life outside of Treehouse of Horror, and yet you have a very well established anthology that's le almost laced in with the seasons and such. Um, it, it's not even like a seasonal special, which you see with, say, Bob's Burgers and such, which I would argue almost comes cl the closest to what The Simpsons does. Because it's like that, you know, they have established Thanksgiving, Christmas, and ho horror sh horror um, episodes. Um, sorry, not horror, Halloween episodes. <laughs> well, they did. They did an Easter uh, episode as well, where uh, an Easter where the where the yes. uh, parents got uh, schnockered on jelly bean uh, schnock, which is great. But with um, the Simpsons, it is almost in its way its own distinct tradition now. Yeah. Um, it was certainly yes. more mainstream than something like Creepshow or even Tales of the Crypt, which it mm. gave a nod to in Treehouse of Horror 17. And that was a Tales of the Crypt opening with Mr. Burns in place of the Crypt Keeper. Um, mm. That's actually one of my top five of the openers. It's not my favorite by any means, uh, but the elegance of Moe and the Iron Maiden um, yeah. And the elegance of the use of Smithers as the lackey before they had really fleshed him out <laughs> as a fully realized character. Um, mm. It really does give him a chance to shine. The only character that really, uh, the only side character that really never got a chance to shine in a Trias of Horror was probably Reverend, Lo Reverend Lovejoy. I think every other character has gotten a chance mm. to shine. Um, even, even Ned has yeah. a couple of, Ned has three Trias of Horror segments. Um, including uh, at least one, which is a, one which is on my um, favorite, one which is on kind of my second favorite, uh, hmm. and then one which is kind of a middle of the road for me that I that I wanted to like more. So, mm. um, so just to touch upon Ed before I make another point, um, wasn't his free one? He was the devil. Is that one of them? That's not one of them. That should be one of them. Oh. So he has. He actually has five because in two of them he's the de no he has six if you include Heckass so he has six I've lied he has oh. six of them. Oh, I was gonna say I knew that one and what I was gonna say was the other one when he was the werewolf. Uh, the werewolf, yes, that's the one that's my I kind of wish it had been better one. Um, uh, I I yeah. Italy Italy know what you did. It's a I know what you did last summer reference, but it's but it's yeah. different. Um, so there's there's. Hmm. there's uh, Sorry, you're gonna say. I, I was gonna list off the ones he did, but you can talk. We can talk about Ned oh, no. as a character. No, me. please. Uh, you go and list off the ones that he did. Yeah. So there's obviously my number eighteen is Heck House, uh, which mm. is one where he turns the church into an actual den of evil, and he shows the seven <laughs> deadly sins to the kids, and does that lovely, um, all dogs go to heaven, Boschian hellscape. I really actually <laughs> like that. Uh, Heck House was his. The Ned Zone, which is the take on Stephen King's, I think it's Stephen King, The Dead Zone, where the guy gets the bump on the head and he can predict the future. Um, that's the Ned Zone. 
the one that I didn't like is um, there was a Dexter parody where uh, Homer was getting him to kill all the people Homer didn't like. Uh, okay. that's, that's one of the ones of his that I didn't think was very good. Time and Punishment, which is one where he, there's a version of the alternate universe where he plays like the creepy overlord of Earth. Um, and he's turning everyone kind of into uh, Ned Acolytes and causing him to smile. That's the one where Homer gets his hand stuck in the toaster and he keeps going back and building in the past. And so yes. I, I think that's a great moment for Ned because this is in one of the earlier seasons, so they haven't really established Ned too much. Mm. So the idea of that neighborino uh, before we've had the hurricane episode where he actually goes <laughs> a little mental um mm. i think it's i think time punishment is actually a really elegant way to show um to showcase ned because it's a different mm. way of looking at him but it's still ned um and then yes. of course the devil and homer simpson is one of the most iconic episodes um yeah to me it's actually one of the sweetest i think too so mm. i think we should start actually speaking about some of the our personal favorite iconic yeah. episodes in a minute um one key point i want to make actually which has been was brought on by a word you used before you said elegance before oh yeah and i think that's something about treehouse of horror i've always liked is the fact is um it's able to do horror in a way that kids can watch get very much creeped out by because they're the ones that i distinctly remember i remember watching as a kid and getting you know somewhat terrified of some of the plots um which we'll touch on in a minute but at the same time they were able to write it in a way that was smart and adults could fully appreciate some of the best animation to me is something that's inclusive for everyone that everyone can appreciate from different perspectives and for the kids it's they they can watch it and get nicely creeped out adults there's so much clever writing and so many great references um i i forget which opening it was um i distinctly remember when marge was doing a halloween party for all the kids and such and grandpa was there and everything bart was dressed as the lead character from a clockwork orange now and he even quotes him at one point, um, one of the characters' lines. Now, that would go over the kids' heads. Yeah. But it's such a great little reference they stuck in there. And the fact they were able to put so many iconic horror and thriller yeah. stuff in there while still making it family-friendly, I think is a triumph in itself. And that's one of the three Clockwork Orange references they did over the years, because they've also had mm -hmm. Maggie as a Clockwork character, and then they did a yes. Clockwork Yellow, which is one of my least favorite segments because they try too hard uh, to mm. jam in too many references that lacks an elegancy the other ones have. Uh, okay. But I appreciate Clockwork Yellow. I appreciate anything that gets more people watching. Stanley Kubrick, there you go. <laughs> um, actually, I think we should start with uh the openers because they're their own segment and we actually both share a love of um Triassa 404's night gallery opening because um, oh. we talked about this before the episode and i think this is a great blend of mm. reference and nostalgia but also something for the kid um homer yep. going a little crazy because of the dogs playing poker paintings 
And then <laughs> that Indulful joke, I think, is great. And Night Gallery is Rod Serling's anthology series after Twilight Zone ended. And so it's not just a reference, but I think for an excellent opener, it kind of stands on its own. If you've never seen Night mm. Gallery, you understand what they're yeah. doing. You understand what an art gallery is. Um, and then the segments are not, they're some of the better ones that people remember yeah. if you prod them a little bit. I think the mm. Night Gallery opening works. Bart having to hold Maggie for one of the intro sessions because Marge <laughs> tosses him off to go visit the gift shop and he's got that annoyed big brother face. I think it's really <laughs> a subtle kind of great reminder you're both in and out of continuity. And I think the Night Gallery opening, mm. it's still my favorite of all of the openings, I think. Mm. And it's great that they're able, like, oh, I just remember all those creepy paintings in the background that, again, were referencing stuff. And people that watched Night Gallery will, will get the reference. And people that didn't, hopefully this encourages them to actually check it out. And like by including references like this, it allows you know, it allows people to rediscover some stuff or even discover stuff afresh. And that is something I have a particular fondness for when creators do that sort of thing. Okay. Mm. So I have a list of twenty-three, <laughs> which are my top twenty-three episodes, and I completely it took me a long time to figure out. Because there are some I was surprised I wanted to fight for. So before I jaw on into my first one, what is your kind of the one that you want to talk about? The, the segment that brings you kind of the most Halloween joy, as it were. The most, the most Halloween joy. <laughs> um, well, whatever yeah, you call it, this is my this is my Halloween joy thing. So whatever brings you, whatever one you really want to talk about. So let's see. Um... I think what I'll do is I'll name a few that I've always had a particular fondness for, for various reasons, um, and just leave it there. And then if you it comes up in your list, we can discuss them in a bit more detail when we come to that. Okay. Um, so in terms of n childhood nightmare-inducing fuel, for some reason, Nightmare Cafeteria really stuck with me as a kid you know the and it's a very childhood fear of like people that you trust you know your teachers the staff at your school and such suddenly turning on you and you having this fear for your life i do remember actually as a kid i had a nightmare about it like a very vivid one um all about the grinder and everything um the the goofy the goofy omatic that has the goofy yes. set, the giant Hamilton Beach uh, blender they have on the floor of the factory <laughs> for some reason. It's so good. It, it is. Um, so that stuck me with that. And I I think that's one of the ones where they may have been referencing something, but similar to the haunted house um, from the first episode, it may have just been they were tapping into like a primal, well-established fear hmm. as well. You know, haunted house, um, crazy teachers and you know cannibalism etc um and just sort of um making their own original tale yeah. um so that's for fear inducing um for visual reference um homer pie free i think that's what it was called or is it homer times homer cubed homer cubed, homer cubed. sorry no, um 
because that was the first time I think as a kid I ever saw 3D graphics really in effect and the fact that they blended it so seamlessly between cartoon to 3D graphics to live action at the end um, that really stuck with me as something I'd never seen done before um, and to be honest I haven't rewatched that episode recently but it gets me itching now to go back to it again um, and uh, lastly and Homer sure. Cubed has my favorite mm. uh, closer uh, the erotic Ooh. cake shop thing is, is I think one of my favorite closers um, and if you watch the credits to that episode from Treehouse mm. Before 6 by the way um, mm. all the people on the street in the live action portion were hired actors too uh, so they actually, they didn't just like have some poor schmuck in a green screen suit walking down uh, <laughs> Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, it's actually probably my favorite closer, which is not something that all, most of the closers are not that great. But uh, I think Homer Cubed is probably the best final segment, closing segment that they have done probably in years. Um, mm. Nightmare Cafeteria is actually my number one favorite and i'll talk about that for a moment but i want to make yeah. sure you get your list out before i go rambling on that's quite all right sir um i'll name the one last one and this is something we'll probably discuss in terms of the most memorable segment to me um it's probably the one that you know it's such a clear reference that they pretty much like copy the film in many regards but there's something very simpsons about it in every aspect the shinning um and that you know i think that's on your list so we'll discuss that in a moment yeah. but let me just say one thing poor groundskeeper willie <laughs> the poor man didn't not cut a break in that episode <laughs> I, it oh, was a running poor... gag throughout that whole episode because in every story he got like hit in the back with something and murdered um it was actually something family guy copied many years later when they were doing mm. their fairy tale anthology uh, but like Ooh. I really there's a really great because the last one groundskeeper Willie said I'm just not very good at this as he's like falling over dead for the third time and I love how how aware that the Simpsons were of the gag but they yeah. stopped before it became too much like they were like yeah. we can do this one it's a segment and then the third one we have the ability to, to reference it because it's such an absurd thing to have him die all three times and I think it's a great um, awareness that they had of what yeah. they were doing on a, very, on a bit of a tangent before we go into your list, thinking about Crownskeeper Willie, um, <laughs> I still to this day, I'm not sure how I feel about his occasional moments when he rips his clothes off and shows that underneath he's got the physique of an Olympian. I'm and, not mad about it. Like, oh, I'm not mad about it. I just know, like... It's... Yeah. <laughs> to this day, I, I still recall very... Uh, very vividly the episode when homer becomes a grease baron for some bizarre reason um and groundskeeper willie rips off his clothes to the lunch lady doris and says lard me up woman <laughs> and she just goes okay and then proceeds to do so because what else do you yeah. say in that time um yeah. anyway yeah on to the list sir no i love that so much that's so great um okay so i guess i'm just so before I get to my list, I want to give a nod to my other favorite openers and then my favorite horror episode that's not in this continuity. It's very strange. Mm. So I also, my least favorite season, 
Triassic 430 has my second favorite opener, which is the one based on The Omen, where Maggie mm. is the Damien character. And the opener is so great, and it just goes downhill from there. Um, and my third favorite opener was the kind of CGI claymation. It's called Sweet Hereafter from Triassic 428. Mm. And this is the one where um, they're all candy and they end up on the high shelf eating the Easter bunny made out of chocolate. Um, <laughs> I think it's really great. Uh, it's having Grandpa be senior mint and have him being eaten uh, and having Bart be Butterfinger and mentioning how they don't have a Butterfinger contract and they, they can disparage it. Um, I think Sweet <laughs> Hereafter is a really great opener. Um, <clears throat> There's one that I really like that I will not talk about because I found out um, the artist of that particular opener has allegations of grooming. So there's Ooh. one there's one kind of good one that I think everyone probably likes, uh, but I will not be talking about that one with the special song that got made up because that artist is uh, not a good person. Uh, but I'm aware of that. So that's mm. all I'm going to say about it. Um, I would also like to give a shout out to probably my favorite anthology episode they did, Thanksgiving of Horror. Um, I didn't write down what year this was, but there was there's this really great thing where the uh, Agabalypto, which is an apocalypto take on, except um, the Simpsons and some of the other Simpson characters are turkeys. And it's not a silent episode like Hush, like the Pilgrims talk. But I actually think uh, a gobalipto, if it was a Treehouse of Horror segment, would probably be in my top three. Because um, there's something visually stunning about it. Um, it's very elegant in both what it parodies and mm. on its own merits. And it's also probably the most accurate to how the Pilgrims actually were when they first came to America. <laughs> um, and I just think it's great. And I couldn't not mention Thanksgiving of Horror because I think if you do a list about Treehouse of Horror, it's not technically a treehouse, but it has a lot of those distinct hallmarks. And I think it should be on the treehouse of horror list for anyone mm. doing one of these in the future. Um, I mean, the thing is, with tr the, just a small point, horror in general is meant to unnerve you. And yeah. I know that Thanksgiving is a very important holiday for a lot of Americans. So something that sort of like unnerves you over something that you feel... A strong positive connection for or something that you do celebrate i think it, it can be grouped in then with the treehouse of horror because that's what it's intending to do also here's a little american secret we don't actually like thanksgiving we like the idea of thanksgiving but the amount <laughs> of episodes where it's like a sitcom where people secretly hate thanksgiving until they sit at the table and they're having the turkey that's how it is like we like Thanksgiving in hindsight. I like Thanksgiving because I basically um, eat a turkey, deviled eggs, and croissants and hang out by myself. But a lot of people put like familial identity on it. Uh, that makes mm. it sometimes worse. But that's something to discuss in November, though, and we will get there. Um, yeah. So Nightmare Cafeteria is my number one. It has been that way since I saw it in Treehouse of Horror 5, which is the season it's in. It's uh, season 6, so Treehouse of Horror 5. Um, and I like this because it has kind of that Are You Afraid of the Dark, uh, the faculty, kids against the teachers feel. Um, mm. I like that it subtly slides into cannibalism. It doesn't start out there. It really ramps up to 100. Uh, the jokes about Jimbo, sloppy Jimbos, and Uber Broaden, 
I think mm. the Uter Broaden, there's a little Uter in Olivus line, is hilarious. It, um, oh, yeah. It's so good. It's so Simpsons. And, like, if I had friends that quoted Simpsons more, I would be, I would probably give them sausages and call them Uter Broaden <laughs> and get a chuckle. Um, and then Uter later appears on a wall of spies for the not as great spy episode takedown they did for Scrap War segment. But um, Nightmare's Cafeteria is great for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, but it's also great, I think, because it doesn't have to reference something, and it still works. Mm. It's still very strong, because they understand the tropes of Halloween in Treehouse of Horror. They can do the shorthand in a way that's elegant, in a way that people understand. Um, Island of Dr. Hibbert doesn't have to be exactly like Island of Dr. Moreau for people to get it. Um, I don't think Island of Dr. Hibbert's on my list, um, but it's like Island of Dr. Hibbert doesn't have to be exact beat for beat for people to understand yep. what it is. Um, and it mm. works, and it makes me happy. And so after Nightmare Cafeteria, my second pick is actually a little controversial, I think, because this is during the period of time in The Simpsons when people were really kind of down on it and thought that mm. it should have been canceled. Um, and so mine is from Scrap Before 19, and this is their... Um, Peanuts takedown, it's the Great Pumpkin Millhouse. I like the okay. idea of taking this absurd holiday character like the Great Pumpkin, parroting it, and then turning it completely on its tail and showing that it could be an evil thing, and having Millhouse, a traditionally weak character, mm. um, weak in quotes, uh, be kind of this avatar for saving everyone, except for when he tries to offer Tom turkey um, a turkey uh, dinner. So I mm. think it, it's not just great parody of a classic holiday that I love. Um, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Um, it's a grand pumpkin. Millhouse is, even on its own merits, kind of this wonderfully absurd and funny. They use a lot of the same beats as the Peanuts, which I really like. Um, they have the mm. kids rhythmically dancing in time the same way they do in the Peanuts Christmas special. Um, and and the idea of the people that get, that get eaten by the pumpkin, Homer doesn't want to live on the outside anymore, so he tries like living in the pumpkin shell. Um, I think it's a grand pumpkin little house. Is, uh, I, I don't know if it's underrated, but it's definitely one where I was surprised how much I wanted to talk about it and fight for it in the time that we mm. had. Okay. Yeah. I don't honestly know if I've seen that one, in all honesty, so... Uh, it doesn't Marge, really Marge plays the trombone throughout most of the episode. Uh, she's mm. uh, she's doing kind of the idea of the parents and the peanuts, like a womp womp womp, and so they have her playing a trombone throughout most of the episode to stand in for those parents. Um, also, the Halloween pumpkin is secretly racist against yellow pumpkins, which is a weird and hilarious takedown of Americana in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, it also is one of the showcases, like Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace, of how The Simpsons can do different animation styles, but they choose to do a specific style. Mm. Um, because it doesn't look like other, even Trias of Horror segments. And I think it really succeeds in looking like itself, um, which is a weird thing to say, but it just it looks different visually, and the impact is so successful 
Um, it's one of the ones just because I adore It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and I think It's the Grand Pumpkin Mill House is an affectionate parody of that in a way that only The Simpsons could do. Because not all <laughs> parodies have to be hilarious. Um, and this is like an affectionate parody where it also has humor, which I appreciate. Okay. You've convinced me that this might be well worth checking out on my Halloween watch list after yes. this recording. I would also recommend that if you're looking to do specifically parody with Simpsons, a shout out to Dial M for Murder or press the pound sign to return to the main menu, uh, which is mm. one of my kind of uh, wanted to discuss but not my top list. And this is the pitch perfect parody of every Hitchcock tension movie ever, but done with Bart and Lisa. And it's done in this amazing grayscale, um, mm. which is really daring to do especially for the simpsons which are known for their yellow skin tone um yes. so it's also it's up there with dial m for murder or press the pound sign to return to the main menu um uh, which is the full title of that episode uh, so that's my number okay. two my number three is from treehouse of horror 27 this is going to be controversial bff r.i.p this is a kind of in the vein of nightmare cafeteria where it's more of a general idea than it is a parody of something um, okay. Lisa's best friend starts murdering all her other best friends out of vengeance for being forgotten. And we find out that Homer's childhood hero was Sergeant Sausage, um, who he ends up imaginarily eating at the end of the episode. And he spends the entire episode incredibly wasted, in his own words. Um, I think BFF RIP is an amazing Neo Simpsons post movie um, Trash of Horror segment. Uh, everything mm. from Rachel's backstory to how Lisa vanquishes her uh, to Snowball 2 giving their life to save an unaware Marge. Um, it, has, it has really swift beats. It spends entire 10 minutes making sure you watch the entire thing. There's not a second of drag in it. Um, and Bart being uh, a, a, a drug mule essentially for the, for the prison is never discussed again but I feel like it's both in character and the most horrifying thing I've ever learned about Bart. Because um, he just has no idea what he's doing. So BFF RIP, um, the, the gag with Dana Carvey uh, talking at Sherry and Terry's funeral without, without the knowledge he was talking at a funeral is kind of amazing. Um, yes, BFF RIP from okay. Treehouse of Horror 27, which means season 28 which is very confusing, but there you have it. Um, Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace is my fourth, mm. and this is from Triassic of Horror 6. Uh, from the different animation style, the different dreams, the way that Martin dies um, oh. as kind of the Latin wizard uh, Nightmare on Elm Street dream warrior character. Um, mm. Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace, the smart calendar. I absolutely love the idea of the misprinted calendars and they're smart. Um, the the banality of the evil of the CTA that is the reason he dies mm. uh, I think is incredible like he's burning alive as Milhouse's dad is like yammering on about spaghetti at school because he doesn't want to see spaghetti Milhouse spaghetti twice in one day it's just there's something about the way they craft the juxtaposition of urgency versus the banality of things that I think is really great. Um, mm. And also just 
putting putting a baby nipple on a buzz cola to give to Maggie to keep her awake, I think is a really wonderful choice uh, to make. There's there's so much great to love, including uh, groundskeeper Willie um, turning into a giant spider bagpipe, which I've never seen done at a Comic Con, but I can only imagine great things from that costume. Hmm. Uh, well, to be honest, there'd be a lot of great cosplay options from um, the Treehouse Horrors episodes alone. In fact, it almost feels like they could do the Boodlet Brothers could um, <laughs> have a Treehouse of Horror special for their uh, Dragtacular I think, series. I think they could, but the Treehouse of Horror generally aren't dark enough and especially because 90% of them reference other things mm. it would be really easy to misconstrue it as something else um, and True. the Lee brothers have done an outer space episode which would have been an opportunity for someone to do Kang and Kodos and they've done a witch episode and several vampire episodes so I I like the I like the spirit but I'm not sure in execution how well it would work um there is something about the Lay Brothers where I would enjoy a dash more humor, but I think that's mm. more on the contestants than it is on the brothers, because I think the brothers True. understand the humor within the horror brand. Um, but there's also True. a career for Fear Doc out now, which is good. Mm. So, A Nightmare in Evergreen Terrace from Treehouse of Horror 6. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> um, yeah, it, I have to admit that, again, is one of my personal favorite episodes as well and nothing else for the fact that the way they utilize um willie in it and actually make him terrifying rather than his usual bumbling self and his rake as his weapon yes and then he comes back at the end of the episode alive so they're also sweeping the end of the nightmare movies where freddy never quite dies except he becomes his bumbling self at the end when he's not in the dream anymore and he leaves his gun on the bus. And I just think that's so great. I'm mm. a fan. Indeed. Uh, so my number five is from Triassic 4 or 5 and this is where Shinning falls on my list. I thought this was going to be higher but then upon rewatch as much as I love The Shining and I love this Shinning, it's mm. so close to the film. It makes me mm. like the Bob's Burgers Crawl Space episode more because it takes advantage of what The Shining is, but it changes it into yeah. something. I feel like The Shining is just a hair too close to the Kubrick film. Um, mm. And I think that's the thing that stops me. I do like Mo not being subtle and just being like, you need to kill your family. And I do like yep. Marge stepping over him in the cooler. I like the the idea that Homer is his own undoing I even like the Jap at the Tony Awards at the end, but feels just a little too close. It, it, yes, I, I see your point. It, it doesn't stop me from really enjoying this as an iconic Treehouse of Horror tale, but I do agree that it follow it, it follows the major plot points from movie beat for beat. There's no like twist or. Revelate. The only real twist is when they all sit down and they watch TV together, and they free they end up freezing because of that. Yeah. Because but of there doesn't, it doesn't warm always below. have to be a twist. Uh, no. But if you look at the Shining versus, say, the Crawl Space episode in season one of Bob's, 
where yeah. the where the crawl space becomes his version of the Overlook. Um, there's something where it's a little more transformative, and I think I, there's some great moments in it. Uh, Mr. Burns saying, "Oh, the blood easily gets off on a different floor." Um, I think it's very clever, but it but it's two beat for beat was the reason it was number five. Otherwise, it would have been higher. Mm. Uh, this is one of the ones where Willie does get killed. This is one of the groundskeeper Willie axe murder episodes, um, which I appreciate. And that is from mm. Trap of Horror 5. Um, now we're going to go back in time. Treehouse 4 1 from season 2, Hungry or the Damned, which is the Twilight Zone cookbook uh, aliens eat people takedown mm. here. And this is the one where they completely flip it. And. Um, yeah the idea that there's just space dust on the book and it keeps revealing more and more absurd things where it looks like the aliens could want to eat the Simpsons and then they pull back from it and they do it like four times right up to the limit where it's going to, where it's going to overcome. Um, I think Hungrier the Damned is a great early Simpsons vignette because it tells you a lot about who they are um, and what they represent. Uh, because in the, in the, it's easy to forget in seasons one, season two, we didn't yeah. really have a whole town. We had the Simpsons, no. and sometimes we had the Flanders, but we really just had the Simpsons. And uh, and then sometimes people that Marge almost cheated with, like the bowling instructors. Uh, <laughs> but the, but it's it, it's an early season, so there's still room to decide who they are before they get kind of pigeonholed into these characters that mm. would keep them from learning things week to week. There was still a lot of possibilities. And I think Hungry Are the Damned also was a showcase to introduce um, all of the aliens from Rigel, of which we'll only see Kang and Kodos in the future, um, yes. except for Citizen Kang. I think it's an excellent, uh, you made Siroc the Preparer cry was a quote from someone that absolutely loved this episode, but they could not remember the name of it. Now, I only remember the name because I watched it last week. <laughs> um, Hungry or the Damned is not a particularly memorable name, but the segment is particularly memorable. So Yes. Hmm. It, it has to be one of the best character introdu introductions that The Simpsons have done, actually. Um, actually, probably one of the only real ones they've done because a lot of the secondary characters just sort of appear normally yeah. they don't get the whole like introductionary episode and such but maybe that's why they the aliens become remain quite memorable because of that and also like such lovely distinctive designs yeah uh, canyon code the whole of rigel 7 um which then hmm. later on futurama we get rigel 8 where they're where they're bipedal instead of like squid octopus characters it's a great mm. uh, it's a great example of taking a really simple design and making it useful. The idea of I think it's Kang that is like, and we're going to chew the fat with their glistening jaws and then find out that they were not going to eat the Simpsons. Mm. Um, I think is it's a really great take, not just on horror, but on the idea of when aliens come, are we going to hoist ourselves by our own petard? Are we capable of doing Star Trek? And the answer mm. is no. We're not capable of Star Trek. We are selfish, craven beasts at the end of the day, even when we try to be our better selves. No, don't say it's so. I mean, it's true. And speaking of craven beasts, uh, Lionel Hutz 
um, has a bit of a uh, Trials of Horror debut in my number seven spot from Trials of Horror 4. It's Devil and Homer Simpson. And this mm. is the one with one of the sweet endings, as I call it. So you get a couple that have sweet endings. The one where Bart is doing the Twilight Zone episode with the kid with the cornfield. Um, and then the Devil and Homer Simpson, which is funny. And it's incredibly sweet when we find out that Marge owns Homer's soul. And I think that is the only Trails of Horror fact that has not been retconned in canon. I think it's the only one that they liked so much they kept it in the series, essentially. Um, but the Devil and Homer Simpson, the, uh, the jury is hilarious. Blackbeard, the pirate in a high chair. Lizzie Borden. Uh, Richard Nixon, who's not dead. Um, <laughs> I think he was probably dead after after this episode come out. But the there's a starting lineup, I think, from a hockey team or it's like a football team. But it's Yes, um, it's a hockey team. Yeah. And then the judge's death for no reason. Uh it's really great. The Homer Homer's head being transformed into a donut while the cops wait outside. Um there's a lot of really good humor in this. The only thing that makes it farther down the list is that. I just like the other episodes a little bit better, but like these top mm -hmm. seven for me, you could interchange them and I'd probably yeah. be just as happy with them. Um, I think the devil and Homer Simpson is a way to do horror, but to do that ending beat with heart um, that works. And I don't know how many people actually saw the devil and Daniel Webster or even bedazzled, which is a couple of things. This is probably based on the idea of selling your soul. Um, I think it's a really great, elegant, the, the idea of Bart, messing with the devil and not selling his soul is such a Bart thing too and it makes mm. me so happy <laughs> um, and oh you forget you did mention um, the Monty Burns bit who is that Matt who is who's that man Smithers I like the cut of his jib <laughs> um, that's the Lord the Prince of Darkness sir he's your 11 o'clock <laughs> oh it's so good it's true uh there's there's a lot of great stuff in that episode and i like that it's a kind of a workplace we don't get a lot of workplace episodes in the treehouse of horror canon too so i like that it starts out there i just mm. like that homer has an emergency donut because as a person that always had emergency candy supplies at my desk at work yes. i understand <laughs> i would not do a donut uh, I also would not use my emergency manual cutout for hiding <laughs> that, but that's just me. I'm going well, to make Homer Homer. You mentioned about Maggie and the um, pacifier, the the bottle guy yeah. earlier, and this is the Simpsons has always been really good at visual gags. Like the, uh, they use it all the different ways that they have, like um, puns and visually sound everything like that they don't necessarily need so the best humor that they have is just what you can see on the screen and they don't need to re-articulate it and the the emergency donut really does stand out for me as a memorable moment from that particular episode yeah and homer's the type of person you could see having an emergency donut even though they provide an absurd number of donuts at his workplace it's never quite enough um <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Burns complains about them all being layabouts and such, but I mean, if he wasn't like allow it facilitating that to a degree, yeah. it's a self fulfilling <laughs> would... prophecy. Um, but self fulfilling mm. prophecies aside, my number eight is from Trias of Horror Two. This is the monkey paws with the fro yes. with the Froger skit essentially at the beginning it of it. Yeah. Um, mm. 
no, the monkey's paw is the one where they're in Morocco inexplicably. Clown without pity is oh. one with the with the Froger. So this is the yes. one where they are inexplicably somehow in Morocco, and then uh, Homer has to pay the two dollar fee to get all the stuff out. And uh, the monkey paw causes nothing but chaos until Flanders gets hold of it. Um, also, also the Simpsons Calypso albums for some reason always makes me chuckle. Um, it's kind of takedown of the already burden of Simpsons merch that we were getting at just at this point in season three. Um, yeah. Monkey's Paw is a great episode. It's it's how you knew the Simpsons understood their place in pop culture history, essentially. Mm. And there's a couple of other great little points. Um, for example, um, when Lisa wishes for all peace and that backfires um literally because the kid's playground is made awfully out of these rifles and like if ralph (laughs) is coming down the slide like rifles are going off it's so good you can't watch Mm -hmm. that much now because it makes you cringe having kids turn your firearms but like at that point in time (laughs) we were still in america we still hadn't quite succumbed to that level yet so um so with with that when the humans are being led away by the very lightly armed alien horde um the one man goes before i was just annoyed with their antics now i want to kill them in regards to simpsons so that's a great example of what you were just saying about um sort of like almost like a self-awareness of the place and such you were saying about like until they gets with um flanders like the, pup, the monkey paw keeps backfiring. Um, I have two thoughts on that. One thing, Maggie wishes for a, pass, a new pacifier, and we don't actually see any backfire to that. Um, and then Flanders gets the paw, and there doesn't seem to be any backfire to his wishes. Now, you could interpret that, that because Maggie's relatively innocent, you know, as a baby, she and Flanders is very goody two-shoes, it could be that the backfiring doesn't necessarily work against those that don't necessarily have any malice in their heart. I know you could argue that Lisa did a very selfless wish, but then she still wished for world peace from a very, from a self-centered point. Um, well, the turkey sandwich was a little that. dry, so it could have been nicer yeah. about the turkey sandwich, but that's, uh, uh, that's a small point. Yes. Although I have to say it could be we just didn't see the downside in the wishes. It left it open to interpretation. I mean, it could the, be so gone. The downside of Maggie's wish was that over the rest of the seasons from that evil pacifier, she became more craven and evil as time went on. So it was mm-hmm. actually just a really long con is that it was the pacifier that turned her um evil and murderous. Also, because she's had to listen to Goodnight yeah. Moon forever, I would be murderous mm. after that, I understand. So my next one, uh, my number nine, is probably also a little controversial. From Tress of Horror 15, I really love this. This is four beheadings and a funeral, and this is their kind of Scotland Yard, um, distant past uh, English one, the, the Sherlock Holmes one, the one with lots of references to opium which I think is really great. Uh, the eel pie gag I really love because as a fan of Great British Bake Off, um, I've uh, had a curiosity about eel pie ever since I found out it was a real thing. Um, four beheadings and a funeral, I think, is it's a weird one. It's not very frightening. 
um, but I actually like it on its own merit. Um, and it makes me chuckle every time. It makes me feel good. Uh, it makes me think of you a little bit because that's where you are in the world. So. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've then... seen it, so I don't. I don't know if it would make you bitterly angry that I'm connecting it with you, but I think it's great. So, um, if I was soon to get bitterly angry about every British reference in the world, well, for one thing, I'm, that would make me very, very petty. And for the other thing, considering the amount of Americana references out there, <laughs> yeah. you would have cause to be angry too, and vice versa for everyone that has cultural references from different cultures. I mean, but we are the center of the universe, so that doesn't hurt anything. Um, no, I, I don't actually mean that. Uh, before <laughs> beheadings in a funeral, um, it's not the scariest you're ever going to see, but I think it's one of the funniest. It's one of the only ones where Chief Wiggum is actively a villain, too. Usually he plays a very passive character in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. or a very, very friendly character. So this is one of his villain turns, and I think it works. Also, Homer, um, Homer's character as the, bef as the befuddled um, not-villain, I think is really great. His reference to, I've never had the pleasure of a good eating apple, I think <laughs> is amazing as a line, and the delivery with it Makes me so sad for him. Um, also, there's a lot of opium in this episode. They really go heavy on the opium, which makes me worry <laughs> for people in that era of Britain. But such is life. Mm. Um, and then rounding up my top 10 from season, from Trials of Four 1, we actually have their ending bit with the Raven with James Earl Jones. That is not um someone they hired it sounded like james earl jones that is james earl jones reading the raven by edgar Allan poe that homer is acting out i think this is charming it's a great parody uh marge as lenore with the two picture frames one of her and then the top of her hair yeah on the side <laughs> is really great um the gags yes. where homer hurts himself trying to get to the bart raven and then the Bart commentary of, you know, would have been scarier if they're been, uh, at the door. Anything than nothing. Um, I think it's, it's such a good both commentary and loving parody. And also James Earl Jones. Who would have expected mm -hmm. James Earl Jones voicing the Raven <laughs> the by Raven. Edgar Allan Poe? It's so good and it's just so unexpected. And it was, that had to have been how they knew Trials of War could go on and be something of a success. Like, if it had been anybody else voicing, uh, reading The Raven, mm. I don't know if it would have worked as well. Yes. I, now, that one was perhaps one of the most confusing segments to me as a kid. Um, <laughs> not knowing anything about Edgar Allan Poe or The Raven, I was quite befuddled, and I, I wasn't quite understanding what the hell was going on. Um, maybe it's because... I think Edgar Allan Poe is more well known in the States as opposed to here in the UK. He's not, people do know him over here, but I don't know if like we read him so much yeah, as, a, Poe is as a, children Poe, or teens. Yeah. Poe is a, Poe is a uh, Northeast, like a, like a, like an Americana thing. It, it's very much like I know Poe because I, love vincent price and it led into poe naturally yeah but poe is kind of like alfred noyer's the highwayman 
if you're mm. not like in school having read it or getting or getting like having it be a part of your Halloween from a young age, it doesn't necessarily mean anything to you. Uh, yeah. Poe is very much about atmosphere, very much a time period um, author, very much highly into the genres that he lived in. So, mm. and then he died destitute and broke, and it's very <laughs> sad. And the thing is, uh, the fact that The Simpsons is very much re referencing the fact that, you know, Poe's story is very much from his era, and Bart is com making all these comments about um, the 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 story itself, the theming of it, the pacing of it, compared to um, horror elements that he's seen. It's a great piece of social commentary there. Yeah. Um, and I mean that having rewatched it as an adult, I appreciate it um, for what it is. But as I say, as a kid, <laughs> it was it was confusing, but also mesmerizing at the same time. It's very it's a very daring thing for a show like The Simpsons to have done, because bearing in mind the Raven is the ending segment of the first Jurassic of Horror in the second season. Um, mm. And Trias of Horror was this new thing. They weren't calling it that yet. It was still this Simpsons Halloween special. And it had been followed before by Bad Dream House, which was more clearly something like Andrews of Horror. And it had been, um, it had that middle segment, which was Hungry Are the Damned, which was an alien segment. And so The Raven is completely different from the other two. Um, also, it scares Homer senseless. So maybe they knew that adults were going to get it more than the kids. Because it is pretty scary because it's about grappling with mortality and a broken heart. Um, it really is mm. more for adults than it is for kids. It's a great play to do for a theater exercise if you ever need it, if you ever need a poem for that. Because uh, that's what mm. I've done with it. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah. So I. Mm, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to run through kind of the rest of mine because I don't know if we want to spend all the time deconstructing all 23. Uh, but before I do, I want to give a shout out to School is Hell, which is from one of the later seasons, not because I love the episode so much, but because they use the song Hell is for Children, uh, which is one of my favorite weird not Halloween Halloween songs. Uh, so School is Hell is one of my favorite where Bart ends up in Hell Academy um, doing very well. Um, and then I also want to give a shout out to the Genesis Cub, uh, which is the one where... Um, Lisa grows Lutherans, uh, essentially uh, from I think it's a tooth or something like that, and then get shrunken down. And I think it's one of the better sci-fi episodes they went uh, with. Oh, yeah. and so I wanted to I wanted to shout those out. Those aren't on my twenty three, but they're like my high good line. Mm. So I want to make sure I get yep. them in. Um, but so I'm just going to go through this. You can stop me if you want to. So from season uh, from Trust of Horror Eight, I've got the Omega Man. Um, which has some great like zombie vibes, but they're not zombies. Mm. Um, and then you've got Survival of the Fattest from 16, which is the mm. one where Homer gets Homer and buddies get hunted by Burns and Mo wins a lot uh, wins the lottery via lottery ticket before being impaled on a weather vane by Barney, I think it is, or <laughs> um, or Chief Wiggum. Um, it has a, it's a really sharp beat. Uh, the ending with Marge saving Homer, I really love with the frying pans. Uh, Survival of the Fattest, it surprised me how I had ended up on my list, but it's pretty good. Um, from 20, from Trash of Horror 20, Don't Have a Cow Mankind, which is 
their zombie take where Bart is the savior, surprisingly enough. Um, <laughs> and, and Apu gets a really great shine where he's like, I am a veg, I am a, I think he's a vegan, he says. And so he didn't try the tainted burger, but as a uh, convenience store employee, he was armed to the teeth. And I think that's just great. Um, sad commentary, but also hilarious. Um, my number 14 from Stress of Four 13 is Fright to Keep and Scare Arms, which is hard to say, but this is the one that is kind of that Second Amendment one uh, with the Cowboys coming back to life after Lisa misinterprets. This is right up there with Night of the Living Zombies, where inexplicably all these dead historical figures were buried in Springfield. But I think Fight to Keep and Scare Arms is a little better. I think the uh, um, the awareness and the message they send is sharp because it's not really a Halloween piece, but it does have to do with scare. It also has to do with people getting tired of Homer Simpson traveling for the future. Um, and I think that works really well. Um, the next one is the Ned Zone. The Ned Zone is uh, one of my favorites from 15. Sending the Clones from 13. This is higher on the list than I thought it would be too. But I think Sending the Clones is really important uh, because it sets the tone for kind of these later Simpson seasons where we get a music thing at the end of it and an unexpected twist. Um, if you can't be with the one you love, be be with the one you're with, I think is a great way to end a clone story. Uh, and Johnny Jones from the Sky are always fun. Uh, Terror at Five and a Half Feet from the Night Gallery episode, essentially, Treehouse of Horror 4, is a big part of what people kind of went back and watched Twilight Zone 4 to see what William Shatner did with that, I feel like. I think it gave a renaissance to it in a way that only The Simpsons could do. Um, Tech House from 18. This is one of the Ned episodes, but this is also a really great intro where it shows that Lisa can be taken to a bad place that you don't expect. Um, and I very much appreciate that. Um, and so Heck House, I think, is great because it has that Bosch reference, like I said earlier. Um, but it's also really about Ned knowing the difference between good and evil. It's a lot about how Lisa will just kind of, she will lose her values in order to go along. Um, and there's a really great moment about her uh, calling her a monster because she overfed Lenny's fish. And I think that's great. Um, and we've got Citizen Kang. This is the one people like from Treehouse of Forest 7. This is that election episode with Kang and Kodos as Bob Dole and Bill Clinton. Um, this is the one where everyone quotes, don't uh, don't blame me, I voted for Kodos. Uh, this really is about the Simpsons' ability, the Simpsons' ability to tell a story about apathy that works really well in a very short time period. Um, there's a lot of really great gags in it. It just, it got outshined uh, by a lot of things in this list. Um, Clown Without Pity from Tress of Forest 3. This is the Talking Tina, Twilight Zone. Um, episode. This is one where there's a crusty doll with evil. This is the one with the Froger shop. Um, this is a lot of the ones people try to quote, but they can't because it's such a specific amount of dialogue. I can't even do it. Uh, but I think it's really cool. Um, so Clown Without Pity is pretty good. I, I think it actually works better. Um, yeah, I, I think it works better. Clown Without Pity works better on its uh, the, the first few minutes of it rather than the rest of it so yeah 
Um, and then the last three on my list are E.T. Go Home, Night of the Dolphin, and Easy Bake Coven from 1811 and 8, respectively. That's my list of my top 23, everyone. Woo! I'm glad we all got through that together. So should we wrap up with our thoughts on Treehouse? I think, I think yeah, I think I'll go and then you can kind of wrap up because I've talked a lot this mm. episode. Um, so I talked about the good. I think probably my least favorite season they did, and I'm going to talk about this, not to end on a negative note, but to talk about how when they do well, they do well. When they do bad, they really hit down. Um, mm. When I think about Trios of Horror 24, their Oh, the Places You'll Go, Dr. Seuss takedown and their beat-for-beat version of Freaks. Uh, which mm. was done better on American Horror Story Freak Show, which is not something I say very often about Ryan Murphy's stuff, Lord knows. Um, when they don't hit, it really doesn't hit. There's something about their cat in the hat energy that is not pleasant. Um, mm. And I don't, I, I think it was one of those things where they thought the source material was about payoff. That's not really what the cat in the hat is about. Um, mm. and, and as they did it, and I think, I think they tried. I think it's an interesting idea, but I think it aims for something it doesn't quite hit. Um, and so, like, there are a lot of highs. Obviously, twenty-three segments out of all of them, with nods to like four others. Um, there's more hits than misses. There's only a couple seasons that are very low a couple segments that I've only watched once and never again, you know, mm. for the most part, it's a really good look at what makes horror horror for us, both as kids and as adults. Um, and there's also something about the roles people play in horror. Marge in Triassic Horror isn't a nag, but she's always the cautious one. She's always the good one. She's rarely the one that participates in the violence. Um, and then everyone else just kind of devolves. Uh, so, so for me, I think Trials of Horror holds a really interesting place in horror canon because it's both a celebration of the anthology format, but it's also kind of something that is its own thing. Um, and I want to hear your thoughts. So when mm. this goes up in archives, or you can talk to us on the Twitter or Instagram and tell us about your favorite Trials of Horror because this will come out the week of Halloween. So you'll be watching. I know you will. And that's all I'm going to have to say with a minute left in the episode. Mm. In, indeed. And I agree. At the end of the day, Treehouse of Horror, horror there has been some mediocre parts, but for the most part, it hits a lot of right notes. And there's a good reason why it's some of the most memorable moments from The Simpsons and why people continue to go back to it and watch these over and over again during Halloween. Um, and yeah, I think people just love a good twisted tale at the end of the day. And they do things like the, the opener from Trials of Horror 23 uh, based on the Mayan calendar and the mm -hmm. fear that we were all going to die was a really great opener. Um, the, the opener with the 2008 election, McCain versus... Obama uh, with the voting booth that murder that murders Homer um, <laughs> is really great satire, and so it's it's kind of a kind of a joy and blessing. Um, the the curse is that when it goes bad, it goes bad, but the blessing is that when it's great, it's great. 